Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. 855, the number four, G-A-R-T-E-N. Facebook and Twitter, it's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S G. And iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Of course, that is how you can get in touch with us. And guys, it's all about college basketball today. College hoops is going to be really at the forefront here for the next couple of weeks. And I want to get right into it this week. What I want to do is talk about the mid-majors because early on in the tournament, you can make a lot of money on these mid-majors, but you have to know what you're talking about. Now, Besides just making money on the tournament, you can make money on their conference tournaments, which starts on Monday. I'm recording this early in the week. I want to give you guys a little bit of time to make sure that you can jump on it as well. So I'll give you my thoughts about each tournament, the schedule of the tournaments, and what is going on with them. Because a lot of people wait until right about now to get into the mid-majors. I can tell you, look, I have a a show on Believe Believe Network. It's not only a podcast network on the Believe Networks, which is Believe in the Ivy League. I do nothing but Ivy League stuff, right? I have uh, worked in Las Vegas for 20 years. Mountain West coverage. We talk about UNLV every Saturday and Sunday night that they're playing, right? So I I have my heart set there. I have made a ton of money. I mean, an absolute ton of money on the American East Conference, the Sun Belt. All of these conferences, the Big West, all these conferences are money-making opportunities if you understand the teams. And then... Once you get into the big tournament, well, you could make money like I did. Oral Roberts, Moneyline, first two weekends, first two games on the first weekend. That was just a couple of uh, years ago. And look, I gave it to everybody that was listening. I loved Oral Roberts because they had the shooter. They had the the one-two punch. We will get into all of that to give you the tools. So I want you to concentrate on not only, well, will I take this team in a week or so when the conference tournament comes out, are, are finished, and when the, the big tournament comes out, but no, during their conference tournaments, you could take them and make some money as well. So first, let me give you the schedule here. American East Tournament, uh, quarterfinals start on March 4th. Championship is March 11th. American Athletic Conference, March 9th, they start. The championship is on March 12th. The A-10, the Atlantic 10, March 7th is the first round. So they go 7-8-9. The 12th is the championship. The A-Sun, the 27th, like I said, that's gonna that was Monday, right? I don't know when you're going to watch this. I'm recording this on Monday to get this in. But that was uh, going to start on Monday. The A-Sun championship is on March 5th. The Big Sky, March 4th, championship on the 8th. The Big South, March 1st, championship on the 5th. The Big West, March 7th, championship on the on the 11th, the CAA, March 3rd, championships the 7th, Conference USA, the 8th, the 11th, Horizon League, the 28th. And this is this is weird because 
Horizon League is on campus sites. So it's not uh, just a one gym and everybody goes, no, no, no. It's on campus sites. Horizon League 28th and the 2nd, and then the championship is on the 7th. The Ivy League tournament, March 11th, and then it's 12th. It's only a four-team tournament. The MAC, the 7th, and then the champions on the 11th. The, the MAAC, the MAC is the 9th, and then the 11th. The MEAC, the 8th and the 9th, it starts, and then the 11th. Missouri Valley is the 2nd and the 5th. The Mountain West held in Las Vegas, and that's on UNLV's home floor. The 8th and the 11th, the Northeast, the 1st and the 7th, the Ohio Valley, the 1st and the 4th. The Patriot League is the 28th and the 8th. The Southern is the 3rd and the 6th. The Southland is the 5th and the 8th. The SWAC is the 8th and the 11th. The Summit League is the 3rd and the 7th. Sunbelt is the 28th and the 6th. The West Coast is the 2nd and the 7th, and the WAC is the 7th and the 11th. Got all that? Great. Okay. Well, just so you understand, you know, uh, where we're starting. We're, we're starting right away. It gets right into conference tournament time. Some of these teams you have to look at and you go, wow, it's going to be a long time off. Some of them, wow, it's going to be a grueling schedule. Well, we have a lot going on when we're talking about the, these things. So let's talk about that ASUN conference that I did mention. And I'm not going to get into every team here, guys. Maybe I mentioned a team that doesn't win that conference tournament, but um, or I leave one out. But I want to talk about just the teams that I think are are a dangerous team moving forward. Um, Lipscomb can have a good, solid 19-20 wins going into the tournament. I don't really think that they're overall dangerous. Look, this team simply can't win away from home. 13-2 and at home. And you'll see that a lot. A a lot. I did a lot of Mountain West coverage, and you'll see that a lot where the teams just can't win away this year. 6-10 and away. Uh, I don't believe in Stetson. I don't really believe in Eastern Kentucky. To me, this is two teams. Kennesaw State and Liberty both tied for first. Uh, Kennesaw State and Liberty both 15-3 and in conference. 23-8 and and 24-7. and one of these teams is going to win 23 games and not get an automatic bid. Now, I wish that we, we did get automatic bids. I wish we were lived in a world, but it's not. I give the slight edge to Liberty. I know that Kennesaw is the, I guess, the fun conference, uh, the fun team in the conference, uh, but Liberty has been more consistent. I, I find it a travesty that they're going to win 25, 26 games and not make a, an automatic bid if they don't win the tournament. But I think that they know that, and they're going to try to go out there, really do something. And can they win a first-round game? Can they beat a you know, a team as a 15? Maybe. I, I don't think that Liberty has the guns this year. Well, I'll be taking them. But, but I do like them if they're getting big money and people are underrating them. How about the American East? I told you I made a lot of money over the last couple of years in the American East. Vermont is one of my big cash cows. I really I made money on Vermont's team total. Nine out of 10 games uh, losing last game, but nine out of 10 games in a row. I mean, I, I just was loving this team, and they are the class of the, of the conference. Now, can they lose to a UMass Lowell who has found their offense recently? Sure. Can they lose to a Bryant? Well, they just did lose to a Bryant. How about a Binghamton, a New Hampshire? Nah, I just don't think so. Look, to me, it's Vermont and everybody else. Vermont started off slow. They had... Uh, you know, a little bit of problems. Then they go out there, they win 11 games in a row, looking really good in a situation where they are also getting healthier. Now, I'm not going to talk about the American Athletic Conference because obviously Houston, they're the number one team in the country. I mean, they're going to be a number one overall seed. You do have the Memphises of the world that can squeak in there, and I think that they do with 22, 23 wins. But I I don't think it's going to overly be a team that I'm going to be watching. Tulane is an interesting team. They can score. Uh, Cincinnati, obviously, is always there. There's a chance that they can get 20 wins, but it's kind of Houston and everybody else there. How about the A-10? A-10 is, is 
usually a very deep conference. And this year, you look at the A-10, and you look at the A-10, and you go, yeah, you got uh, seven teams within four games of each other. You have uh, most of the conferences within, like, six games of each other. Uh, VCU is on top of 13-3. and three. They are trying to establish that they are the class of the conference, 22-7 and seven overall. But I think that Dayton, look, Dayton had some problems early on. They lost to UNLV early in the season. A lot of guys were missing in that game. Their 19-10 and 10 record is not indicative of what this team can be. I think that Dayton can be something interesting moving forward. I think Dayton can certainly win the A-10 conference, absolutely. And do I think that uh, I'll be taking Dayton if they are an underdog in the A-10 conference? Yeah, absolutely. Even if they take on a VCU, I think they can win. Fordham is the fun the fun story of the year. Uh, Fordham sitting here 23-6. and six. I wish they could get an automatic bid. I don't think they have the guns to win the A-10 tournament. I, I just don't. Um, but can you leave Fordham out if they win 24, 25 games? The tournament committee certainly can, but I certainly shouldn't. I think you have to just really, really go crazy for Fordham. The problem here, you want to poke holes in Fordham? Sure, we could do that. They've had 10 road games in their 6-4. and 17-2 and two at home, but they've had 10 road games. So that's poking some holes. St. Louis is always a fun team with 19 wins. Duquesne, 19 wins as well. You go to uh, the... Big Sky Conference. Well, Eastern Washington was undefeated in the Big Sky Conference at 16-0. They lose their second-to-last game of the year. They they go to 16-1 and in that spot. And I think that took a little shine off of this Eastern Washington team. Look, they're still 22-8, and and they are the first-place team in this conference. No problem. They are 11-0 going into today at home. I know they have a home game tonight, right? So they, they are the class of the conference. But that doesn't mean a Montana State can't knock them off. Just for an example, you know, my Montana State's sitting here with 21 wins. Uh, Weber State is always in there. Montana is a decent team, good defense. But I really think that, look, this to me is an Eastern Washington-Montana State 1-2 battle where Eastern Washington should be the class of the conference and pull out on top. You see, I don't like a lot of underdogs when it comes down to these, you know, maybe a Dayton here or there so far. I will get into the teams that I think that can upset that are not sitting in first place. Let's talk about the Big South Conference, the Asheville Bulldogs, up and down team, 24 and 7, sure, but I'm talking about pace of play, very up and down pace of play. 13 and 0 at home. That speaks to something going to the Big South. Longwood, hey, welcome to the, the league. Longwood Lancers with a good 20 win season. Dangerous, dangerous team. Now, they're only 500 away, but I don't care. Uh, UNC Asheville has won six games in a row. Longwood has that feeling of the uh-oh team, right? People are scared of them. Radford, I'm not overly scared of. Uh, South Carolina Upstate, uh, you know, they, 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 they're they miserable away. I mean, they're they're 4-12 and 12 away. I don't see anybody up. You, usually this is a Winthrop con- conference. Uh, Campbell sometimes has been in there, and maybe, you know, that that's a danger. I, I don't think so, not this year. Let's go to the Big West. This is the conference where I see an upset happening, and I'll tell you who I like. Look, the Big West has... UNC Irvine, UC Riverside, UC Santa Barbara, all tied at 13-5 and five in conference. Then Cal State Fulton is one game back. Hawaii's one game back. The Aggies are two and a half games back. Long Beach State is three games back. I mean, you know, and you're talking about uh, Irvine, 20 wins. Riverside, 20 wins. Santa Barbara, 22 wins. Hawaii's got 21 wins. A couple of games left on the docket. I could see Hawaii winning 23 games here. And, and to me... They are the dangerous team. They are battle-tested. I know that people go, well, they can't win away from home. Look, they're 5-3 and three away. They don't, they don't have a lot of opportunities to show that they can win away, but I think that they are better than just this pure home team. They're a 21-win team. This is a, a spot where I know everyone's looking at Irvine and Riverside. 
I think it's Santa Barbara or Hawaii, and Santa Barbara's not going on a ledge. Uh, but I'm going to look at Hawaii. Cal State, by the way, has won six straight as of me recording this. So maybe they're getting back into the fray. Big West is going to be wild. Their, their conference tournament is in Las Vegas. It is going to be a wild tournament. Like I said, I'm leaning Hawaii, maybe because I'm rooting for Hawaii, I guess. I'm leaning Hawaii, but I like them. And I think I'm going to be catching points in a lot of games. If they go up against Irvine, they're catching points. They go up against Riverside, they're catching points. They go up against Santa Barbara, that might be a tough spot. But again, they'll be catching points. And you look at what Hawaii has done. You know, their losses, uh, Riverside lost by two. Fullerton lost by one. Uh, UC Davis, they, they lost by a little bit. Um, basically, seven-point loss to Fullerton earlier in the season. Uh, a, a uh, An eight-point loss to, to Riverside earlier in the season. A two-point loss here. A three-point loss to Yale. Guys, you hear what I'm saying, right? Three points here, two points there, two points here, two points. Their worst losses are like seven, eight, eight points. If you're getting points in the Big West with Hawaii, take the points. That is a key. Let's go to the Colonial Athletic here. Hofstra, their offense is always really good. They're a well-coached team, 23-win team. Their offense has absolutely exploded. They have won 11 games in a row. Do not sleep on the Hofstra pride right now. They are top of the division, and everyone's looking at Charleston because for the entire year, Charleston, 28 wins Charleston could maybe win 29 or 30 games and not make the tournament. Come on, get out of here. Hofstra should go on, and right now they are red hot. If Hofstra should go on to win this tournament, Charleston should get an automatic bid. I'm screaming at you tournament people. They should get an automatic bid. But I think this is a really good contest. I mean, Charleston has had the better record and the better resume on the year. But 11 straight wins against, by the way, seven straight wins. Hofstra Charleston's what everyone wants to see. Now, Townsend might throw something in there. I've been on Wilmington as well. I think Wilmington, with their 22 wins, is a little underrated here. I think Wilmington has gotten a little forgotten because of how good the top of the conference can be. If you want an underdog here, not for the, the big tournament, where I think Charleston and, and uh, Hofstra can certainly both make it, not for the big tournament, but if you want a, a Colonial Athletic Conference kind of underdog to take, Wilmington's my team. And I think if Wilmington gets into the tournament, maybe... Maybe they'll be a little too underrated. Now, not to win a game, but, you know, maybe they'll be getting uh, 12, 15 points, something like that, and they could keep it close. Kind of my Hawaii theory. Conference USA, FAU's on top of 26 wins. Again, a, a team that I wish would just get an automatic bid. North Texas has had a real good year at 23-6. and six. They can win on the road, too, at 9-3. and three. Five wins in a row for the UAB Blazers brings them to 22 wins. And that's kind of the conference. Look, I think it's FAU's to, to lose here. But North Texas gives me some worries if I am that team. How about the Horizon League? Horizon League, Youngstown State, Milwaukee Panthers, Cleveland State, Northern Kentucky are all separated by one game. Yeah, 23 wins, 20 wins, 19 wins, 19 wins. It's been a good year for the Horizon League. It really has been a very good year. Now, I'll say this about Milwaukee. Under 500 at home, I don't like that. Northern Kentucky can be dangerous. Northern Kentucky's playing on the first weekend, and I kind of have them in the championship game against Youngstown State. Something to watch there. The Ivy League tournament. Guys, I have talked about the Ivy League tournament at uh, just ridiculous lengths on my uh, on my private channel here. Guys, you go check out Believe Network. Believe in the Ivy League. I went real in-depth about this. Yale, Princeton, and Penn are all tied for first, and then Brown and Cornell are going to battle it out to see who gets that last playoff spot, although it really looks like it's going to be Browns, but they don't really have a shot. Look, every projection, every bracketology that you see has Yale going in. 
I think that they are the worst of these three teams just because of this. Look, if Penn, Penn takes on Princeton this weekend, if Penn wins this game, they have won nine games in a row going into the tournament. How are you going to bet against a team winning nine games in a row? And their offense has been on fire. They scored 89, 90 points the last two weeks and five of the last six weeks. They are well into the 80s. Their offense is unstoppable. Then you look at Princeton. Princeton finished off at Cambridge last Saturday, okay? They played in Harvard last Saturday, and they turned around, and they have they don't have to go home anymore. The Ivy League Conference Tournament, the last game, by the way, is Princeton uh, against Penn in Princeton. And then the Ivy League Conference Tournament is in Princeton. Those kids are sleeping in the bed for the rest of the year, and they have been since last week. I think that, that is a huge step up for Princeton as well. Let's go to the Metro Athletic Iona sitting here with 22 and seven. They're going to win the regular season title, but Riders right there. Sienna, look, I think I it's this is Iona and nobody else. Don't even have to talk about anybody else. The Mid American Conference has been fun. It's been a lot of scoring this year. Toledo, Kent State, Akron, Ball State, all separated by three. By the way, Buffalo, Eastern Michigan has made me money because they just cannot defend anybody. But look at the home records. I talked about Mountain West. I'm in the Mid American Conference. 13 and one for Toledo at home. This is. 13-1 for Toledo, 13-0 for Kent State, 14-1 for Akron, 12-1 for Ball State, 13-1 for Ohio. I, 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 you got to even go 10-4 with Buffalo. But let's look at the road record. Toledo's 8-3. They could win at home. Uh, we win on the road. 9-6 Kent State, 5-5 five five Akron, 6-6 six six Ball State, 4-10 Ohio, 2-9 Buffalo. Toledo and Kent State are, are the class of this conference because they could win on the road. And you look at... Uh, both of them at 23 and 6. You have to give Toledo the edge. I keep talking about winning streaks and going into the conference tournaments hot. Toledo's won 13 games in a row, guys. 13 games in a row. Mid-America, a Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. Howard and Norfolk State tied at the top. Maryland Eastern Shores back by one. North Carolina Central Eagles by one. Look, I've been on Norfolk State all year long, right? Their 20 wins are impressive. 10 and 2 at home. Now they have stumbled. Nobody in this conference has a winning record on the road. Nobody. Let me repeat that. Not one team in this conference has a winning road record, so I don't really look at that. Now, I know North Carolina Central Eagles, they're all red hot. They've won five in a row. Give me Norfolk State out here. Missouri Valley Conference, Bradley just beat, just won, right? They just beat Drake, but Drake seems to be the team that everybody wants. 23-8 and eight against 24-7. and seven. Drake is the team that has the momentum. I still think Belmont can be a player here. I, I, I've liked Belmont all year long. I know a lot of people that like Indiana State. This is one of those crazy conferences. Absolutely crazy. But Bradley's won 10 games in a row. Bradley's been here before. Bradley knows what they're doing. I think you've got to give the edge to Bradley. But this, this is one I'm staying away from. I can see quite a few teams pulling out at what should be an exciting conference there. San Diego State. Boise State, Nevada, Utah State, they're all hoping for automatic bids into the tournament. I've been reading projections and people in the Mountain West really do believe that this could be a four-bid conference. I don't think so. Look, Boise State has a rough road. They got to take on San Diego State, and then at the end, they're taking on another tough team to finish it off. Boise State's in a predicament where, yeah, they're only two games back. They got 22 wins. But they almost have to do something in the Mountain West tournament. Look, San Diego State's in. Okay, we don't have to talk about it. If you want to talk about Mountain West tournament champions, uh, San Diego State's going to be in. They're going to be the, the pre pretty heavy favorites here. But Utah State's been impressive, and Nevada's been impressive. Boise State has not. I think Boise State's on the outside looking in. But all of that can change if they beat San Diego State. Whoever wins the conference tournament is obviously going with San Diego State, unless it's San Diego State. I think this is a three-big conference, no matter what. So... When you're looking at the Mountain West Conference Tournament, Boise State's going to feel like we have to win this thing. 
okay? But they might be so in the doldrums. They have really fallen off, like New Mexico has, has fallen off. UNLV's on their home floor. I get it. No value there. No value in San Jose State. It's Utah State or Nevada for me if you wanted to take an underdog because I just don't buy into Boise State, and I have for a lot of the year. Northeast Conference, Merrimack has a two-game lead over Fairleigh Dickinson, Stone Hill Skyhawks, uh, St. Francis Red Flash. Nobody really here is jumping out. Look, at the end of the day, you know, you got two teams over, well, you got one team over 500, 17 and 14 overall. Merrimack's leading with a 15 and 16 overall record. Um, none of these teams are impressing me in any way, shape, or form. Do something different with your money. Ohio Valley Conference. Moorhead State has an uh, edge on Tennessee Tech. UT Sky, uh, Skyhawks, Tennessee State. Again, 21-win Moorhead State stands above the rest. And Tennessee Tech is in second place with an under 500 record. I know you got a couple 18-win teams. 4-11 uh, and 11 on the road just doesn't impress me. Like I said, we've said this with a lot of conferences before. Not one team in this conference has a winning record on the road. Not one team in this conference has a 500 record on the road. So Moorhead State makes a lot of sense. You go to the Patriot League, Colgate and everybody else. They have a six-game lead. Colgate is 17-1 and one in conference. Colgate is 23-8. and eight. Colgate is won six games in a row. Colgate can win on the road at 11 and four. Colgate clearly wins at home at 11 and two. Colgate, Colgate, and lots more Colgate. Let's go to the Southern Conference. Furman, Sanford tied at first. UNC Greensboro, one game back. Then you get into like the Catamount or Western Carolina, uh, Eastern Tennessee. Wolford, who's constantly there. Chattanooga, who's been there a lot. Uh, I don't see anybody really being a real overall threat. 24 win Furman looks like the team to beat here. They are eight and three on the road. I like that. They've won three straight. Obviously, they win at home. Sanford's, uh, you know, tied at first, but I, I see a lot. And they got 21 wins, right? Um, but again, road worries worry me. Head to head matchups worry me. Not being big underneath worries me. Furman is the winner there. Southland Conference, Texas AM, Corpus Christi Islanders. I like them. Look, they're a 20 win team. Uh, they are dominant at home. They can't win on the road. We get it. And Northwestern State can win on the road. I've made a lot of money on Northwestern State this year. And the overs, by the way. This is an over conference. Uh, if there is a, an over-under, if there's a championship game between Texas A&M and Northwestern State, you bet that it's said at like 155. I, I've made a lot of money on Northwestern State. So I'm going to continue to kind of lean with them here and, and hope that they kind of pull it out. Southwestern Athletic Conference, the SWAC Conference, Alcorn State, Grambling, Todd Perverse, Southern Jaguars, and Jacksonville State, three games back. Nobody's a threat here. 19-win Grambling is the obvious choice, but yeah, I just don't like the conference. I've stayed away. Look, you know what I've done? I, I was somebody that was riding, banging on the lower guys, right? I got just, just beating up on the Missouri State Valley uh, with their uh, overall five wins in Florida A&M with their seven wins, and Arkansas Pine Bluff kind of turns on late, but... Yeah, no, no real, nothing real there. Hey, I mentioned Oral Roberts in my uh, my shows a lot because one of the best best days of my well, let's say best weekends of my life was a couple of years ago when I had Oral Roberts money line and plus the points in day one. Oral Roberts money line and plus the points when they played in game two. And Oral Roberts is eighteen and zero in conference, sixteen and zero at home, eleven to four on the road. They are a scoring machine. I think they have the best scorer in all of college basketball. Yeah, bar none, I think he's still the best. He was the best when he made money, meaning money, and he still is the best. They have a good one-two punch. They've won 14 games in a row. It's all Oral Roberts. As far as moving forward, yeah, Oral Roberts can certainly start uh, upset a team. If they get, I think they're going to get a 14 seed. If they get a 12 seed, I, I think they're going to get a 13 seed, I should say. I don't think they'll fall as low as a 14. I think they're going to get a, a, a 13 seed. If they get a 12 seed, I'm all in on Oral Roberts again. At a 13 seed, I might be all in also. 
Okay, I might be all in. Also, I am liking Oral Roberts to not only win a game; they might win two games again. I don't, I don't love him as much as I did that year because there was no one-two punch as good as that one. Remember, Bannon kind of transferred out, but I do like that a lot. Sun Belt Conference, Southern Miss with 25 wins, and Louisiana Raging Cajuns got 23. Marshall's got 24. Marshall's offense is fantastic. Their defense is terrible. So I can't go on Marshall. As fun as they are, and they are a fun team, I can't do it. It's Southern Miss, it's Louisiana. I tend to like Louisiana a little bit more, and I might be getting some points there. Uh, Like I said, West Coast, I'm not talking about them as a mid-major anymore. Gonzaga spends too much money on their basketball program. St. Mary's is a top 25 team. It's one of those two. They, you know, they had a good battle this week. One of those two. And I hope we get them for the championship, but it doesn't really matter. Whoever loses, they're both going to the tournament. I think that Gonzaga is going to be like a three seed this year, maybe a four seed. And I think they're very ripe for the takedown this year early on. They may be a first day out kind of team, depending on who they match up against. I actually believe in St. Mary's a little bit more than them. I think St. Mary's will probably be like a seven seed. Um, and, and I believe that in them a little bit more, but I don't see either one of these teams making a second weekend as nice as a year it's been. Just don't buy into it. Finally, the whack Utah Valley Wolverines coming out of nowhere with their 22 wins. They are in first Sam Houston's not far behind with 22 wins. Got a couple of 19 win teams, Southern Utah, Stephen F. Austin, who they've been there before Seattle Redhawks. They've been there and, and made a run before. You know, you look at Sam Houston, they got a five-game winning streak, so maybe that's where you lean, but I'm staying away from the whack as well. While we concentrate on the mid-majors, look, I'm going to have to talk about the big six, and specifically the preseason number one. Oh, yeah, they might be going down. They might not make the tournament. We're going to talk about that and more right after these messages. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I have the latest NBA title odds. Celtics are three to one. Suns coming in at plus four fifty after the Durant deal. Bucks plus five twenty-five. Nuggets plus seven fifty. Clippers are twelve to one. Sixers are twelve to one. Warriors still hanging in there at fourteen to one. Mavs and Grizzlies eighteen to one. And the Lakers, yeah, despite LeBron going down, you can get them at twenty to one. That is what are the odds? And guys, you know, listen, the NBA's heating up. It's going to start getting uh, real good in the NBA real soon. But first, it's college basketball. College basketball is taking over right now. And I've got to talk about a little bit of the Power Six conferences. So let's have a conversation about UNC. We are here now with Andy Bagwell. We've had him on the show before. I absolutely love to have him on. But 
This time, he's got a new book out. Yeah, it's Duke Still Sucks. Yeah, Andy Bagwell <laughs> talking you a little UNC Duke action. We're going to talk about North Carolina. You know, I've talked about them over the last couple of weeks on the show uh, because of them not producing well out there. But wait a minute, the entire season may have turned around. We'll talk to Andy about that. Their upcoming matchup this week on Saturday, Duke, North Carolina should be really good. I think that's going to get Andy's blood boiling. So let me pot him down a little <laughs> bit here. Right, Mr. Producer. Andy, how are you doing today? Tom, I am doing great. That I, my, my blood is not yet boiling, but I'm sure that it always happens when you and I get to start talking. It will by the end. So no, I'm doing great. Really looking forward to to this game on Saturday, and uh, and uh, and hoping my Tar Heels can can squeak into the tournament and maybe catch some lightning in a bottle again this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been talking about them for a while, and we'll, we'll get into that. But I want to talk about the book first because obviously uh, we've had you on because of the original book, right? Duke sucks, and you yep. had appearances, and really, it did get a lot of traction every time I have you on inevitably I get North Carolina fans and Duke fans and then fans from everybody else that hates Duke out there, which seems to be everybody, but Duke fans, uh, absolutely loving your appearances. I've told the story before I lived in the triangle area. I know how hotly contested that rivalry <laughs> is. Even the North Carolina state fans always seem to lean to North Carolina begrudgingly, but they always seem to lean to North Carolina in the rivalry of uh, North Carolina and Duke. So tell me about the book. What made you come up with the second book and why does Duke still suck? <laughs> well, it's funny. We, you know, the first book came out stunningly more than 10 years ago. And so, you know, every year after the book came out, my co-author Reed Tucker and I, something would happen in the news and we'd be like, Oh, that's going in the sequel. Oh, that's going in the sequel. I mean, Tom, we didn't even have Grayson Allen when we wrote the first book. So that, that whole period when he was at Duke, we were like, oh, my God, that's going in the sequel. And we would, you know, just say that, you know, throw ideas around. But, but Tom, last year when Coach K announced the retirement tour so that he could go around the country and have everybody genuflect in front of him, we looked at that and we said, okay, that's it. This is a sign from the gods in heaven above that we have to write this book now. So we got through the season, and, of course, it ended, you know, in the way that it did. And I know you and I talked right after that final four game, and, and we were like, okay, this is it. Let's start collecting ideas because we got to get this book out. It, and we also, like, more seriously thought, we also, it was a kind of a turning of the page of the rivalry. And, and the book is not just about UNC Duke, although there's a lot in that there. But, uh, you know, we also looked at it like, okay, this is the end of an era. Let's kind of capture it at this moment in time um, and see what it looks like. But to answer the second part of your question is, why does Duke still suck? Well, part of the title is, okay, we, we know they sucked in 2012. We proved it. Ironclad cold case. So let's just look at the last 10 years and see what's happened and see, do they still suck? And I know it's going to be stunning to you, but yes, they do. Um, so, and going forward, you know, I think, uh, I think it's, you know, they're, they've sucked since the, since the beginning. That's what a lot of the, the first book covered. So I don't know how, but I'm fully confident that they will find a way to suck uh, going forward, no, no matter who the coach is, no matter what the university does. Yeah, Duke is such a lightning rod. It really is. And it's that lightning rod school that you could pick out so many things to dislike about. You mentioned Grayson Allen. He was an absolute lightning rod moving forward. But you're right. It is. Look, I know that you're a North Carolina guy, but it is just kind of a, a, a turning of the era where you do get a little sad, right? And not that mm -hmm. Coach K's gone, but just that, that rivalry's gone. 
I, I will tell you, look, I'm a, a giant Yankee fan, and uh, not to to argue with you of the greatest rivalry, but Yankees Red Sox are the greatest rivalry <laughs> in sports. Sorry, but it is yeah. right. But but when when Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz left, and I hated them, I couldn't stand them. There was a piece <laughs> of me that was like, oh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss rooting against them. Are you gonna miss rooting yeah. against Coach K? I'll tell you, we actually wrote about this very thing, Tom, in the new book, and I will I will tell you, yes. Yes, I will. I will. I mean, I, I, what, what Reed and I kind of came to the conclusion is, you know, we don't want the rivalry to be over. As much as it can pain us when someone like Austin Rivers drills a three in Tyler Zeller's eye to upset Carolina at home, uh, it, we, you need to experience those lows to really appreciate the high of Caleb Love drilling it over, over Duke last year in the Final Four. So, no, I, I don't want it to be over. I want there to be some sort of spark there um i will i will miss rooting against coach k it was really easy i i was telling somebody the other day i was like you know normally i can't watch a single duke game during the year because i just, my blood starts boiling like you talked about before i've, I've actually flipped on the game a couple of times this year just to kind of look and see what they are like and it's not quite the same now it doesn't take long there'd be some something that somebody does and i'll start to get a little bit wound up but it's not the same and and i i don't want that to end so i'm hoping you know, that, that there'll be some sort of spark. Maybe maybe something, you know, comes up down the line where, where we'll start to, to re- recharge that. And I think we will, but it's going to be, it's going to definitely feel different. You know, in sports, we always have the idea of a rivalry. And there's a great Yankee quote uh, before the Red Sox went out and won, and it was, a rivalry is not between a hammer and a nail. And there's a lot to that, right? The beauty about Duke, North Carolina, was that it was, a rivalry. It wasn't hammer and nail, right? You might get a year or two or even a couple of years where one team really dominated and had it had it over. But but generally speaking, for decades, this was as hotly contested as you could possibly get. It was also a weird scenario that they never really met up in the, you know, in, in the finals. They never met up for a national championship. Yeah. It, it just how weird it was that they were both so good for so long. Neither team really had the advantage for an extended period of time over the other team, yet they never wound up kind of meeting that apex at the end. Do you address that in the book that, uh, I, you know, I know you touched on it a little bit in the first book that, wow, you know, there is no clear advantage between these two when you're speaking on a grand scale. Yeah. And I'll promise your audience, I did not send you the book ahead of time, Tom, because you've now uh, you've touched on two exact things that we wrote about in the, in the book. So, yes, we we looked at that very specifically. So that rivalry, what, what we actually did was we looked at the rivalry since the Coach K era. And this is crazy, but from all the games between Duke and Carolina, when when Coach K was the coach, they ended it, they played 100 times exactly and ended 50 and 50. It it was, which is crazy. It goes to exactly what you were talking about, that this is a rivalry that no team really truly could dominate and have the edge. I mean, like like Yankees, Red Sox, there's been swaths of time where, you know, Yankees have absolutely dominated that series, but. So we actually did a, an analysis, this is crazy, to try to look at, okay, it was 50-50 and just win, but some wins are worth more than others. So, you know, when you beat, when, when Carolina beats Duke at Cameron, that's worth a little bit more than a regular win. When, when, when Duke beats Carolina in the ACC Tournament Championship, that's worth quite a bit more. That's playing for something. And then, of course, when, you know, Carolina beats Duke in the Final Four, that's worth a little something. So we actually came up with a, this is crazy, I know, but this is where our brains are. Came up with a scoring system 
scored all of the wins. And you'll, your, your listeners will have to get the book to find out how it came out. But it was fascinating to see how even this rivalry was, even with all of those other factors, you know, brought into bear. Guys, we're on the phone with Andy Bagwell talking North Carolina, Duke. Go check out his book. And pre-orders are on sale right now. Duke still sucks. Go check him out over at Twitter, at NC Bags. You can go dukestillsucks.square.site to get the book as well. Well, you know, I mean, we, we talked about the rivalry and the Coach K and, and uh, you know, Williams and everybody that has left. Let's turn the page and look at, at what's left. Mm-hmm. Because for most of my life, and I'm into my mid-40s here, most of my life, if not, can I say all of my life, the entire college basketball world has just been defined by the triangle. Sure, Kansas is good. Kentucky's always there. I, I know I'm not, look, I'm not bashing anybody else. Uh, but it's always been defined by the triangle. I think we're in a perilous spot right now where they that mm-hmm. might not be the case. And I think that people around that area are nervously worried that that might not be the case. This year is a little bit of an example, which we'll get into. The Duke falling is a little bit of an example. Do you think that it's possible that the basketball world has fallen away from the triangle? Or no, it's a slight blip and we're going to get back to it. Yeah, you know, I wish I, I I wish I had a great answer for that. I, I think there is definitely going to be a transition. I mean, it, but but I don't think it's only because of the coaches, Tom. I think you've got a lot of other things that are going on in the college basketball world that are causing things to shift. I mean, NIL is a, is something that has significantly changed the way that teams put 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 players in place or how long players stay or don't stay. The transfer portal has made a huge impact on college basketball. So as it relates to the coaches and that kind of gravity of Dean Smith and Roy Williams and and Coach K, I I think it's inevitable that it will shift a little bit. But you you actually actually have, across the board, a lot of guys that are that same age that are going to be moving on. I mean, Jim Boeheim is not going to be coaching much longer. Of course, Jay Wright of Villanova, he left last year. I don't know how much time, you know, John Calipari is going to be around and maybe Bill Self at Kansas for a few years after that. But a lot of these coaches that you really associate with college basketball, not just in the triangle, they're kind of getting up there. They might not be around much longer. So there's going to be this void. Now, is it Hubert Davis and John Shire that can step in and fill that? Probably not right away, if I'm being honest, Tom. But I, I do still think that for a good bit, unless Duke and both Carolina both just fall off the map in terms of, of their of their performance and their and their rankings and and the championships that I still think there'll be that gravity there that people will that people will look to to see you know how things are going they'll tune in to watch the game but there's no doubt there is a period of transition going on right now and and, and who knows where it'll end up Andy let's get into a little bit of uncomfortableness because you mentioned Hubert Davis oh boy we've had you on the show you yeah, uh, yep. are a, a big proponent of of Hubert Davis. Uh, when mm-hmm. he was hired, I grabbed you, uh, put you on the show, and I said, all right, let's talk about it. You gave me insight that, you know, you guys basically went to college together. I, I mean, mm-hmm. look, I get it, okay? But there are people already calling for his head. We are looking at North Carolina right now as potentially being the first number one overall preseason rank. And I hate preseason ranks, but the number one overall first preseason ranked team to not make the tournament. All right, now, if you talk to me three weeks ago, I said North Carolina would have to go 4-0 beat Virginia, and then win a game or two in the ACC championship uh, to be able to get to the tournament. 
I had my co-host on the weekends turn around to me and said, no, no, they could go 3-1. and one. I said, yeah, but they got to beat Virginia. That was my big thing. Well, they've gone 2-0. Mm-hmm. and oh. They've gone out there. They've mm-hmm. beaten Virginia. They have two games left. Saturday is against Duke. I think that maybe we could put it to rest that they won't make the tournament. But at the end of the day, that's still not going to appease UNC fans. Number one preseason overall. They don't pass the ball well. There's a lot of, I want to call it ball hogging. There's not a lot of team camaraderie. It's not that they had injuries. It's not that that guys are totally underperforming. I know you look manic. You lost manic and that was a big, big knock. But everything points back to Hubert Davis here. This is a coaching issue this year. And North Carolina fans have turned on Hubert Davis. Give me your take. Yeah, it, it is tough. And you're right. I, you know, I was I lived on the same hall with Hubert my first two years at Carolina, as, as we talked about on your show previously. I'm a huge fan. I think he's a terrific guy. But uh, and I do think there are a lot of factors that have kind of contributed to to Carolina not having a good year. I'm trying to take my blue coat glasses off, though. I think if I had a criticism of Hubert, and, and I'm not one of these guys that's calling for his head yet, I think you got to get your guys in there, your recruits in, and he's done a really great job on the recruiting trail. I, I think if I did have a criticism, though, it's that I, what I see, and, and you know, I'm not a basketball expert, but what I see is him trying to transition to a pro-style offense without really high-level pro-type players. I, you know, there's a reason that, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, all of those guys came back this year. They're really great college players. They're very good college players. But it wasn't like anybody was telling them they were going to be drafted in the first round. So I, I do think there is an element of this, of him expecting things to happen that maybe the players aren't capable of quite yet or, or, or may never be. And that is on him. I, I, I don't want to say it isn't. That's on him to be able to recognize that and adjust. Um, but I, I, I still think that, you know, First of all, they, they clearly kind of caught lightning in a bottle at the end of last year. And they, you know, they're probably closer to the team that they were before that run and this year than they were during that, during that magical month of, of February and March. But I, I, I still think it's a little too early um, to, to really write the book on Hubert. I, I, he, he's definitely learning on the job, and, and who wouldn't? He's in his second year as a head coach. But I think there are a lot of factors, Philip, as to why they had this season they did. And I want to see, you know, let's see, give him another couple of years. And, and if he gets his guys in there that he's recruited and, and it's still not producing, then, yeah, we're going to have to have a really, really uncomfortable conversation. What will it take for this year to be successful? Because let me lay this out for you. Andy, I look at this North Carolina team, and like I said, two weeks ago I was screaming they don't, they don't belong even in the conversation unless they go 4-0. Oh, well, like I said, they've gone 3-0. Oh. But I look at their losses here. Tell me the bad loss, guys, right? At North Carolina State, it's not a bad loss. Top 25 team. Against Miami, yeah. it's not a bad loss. Top 25 team. At Wake Forest, no. At Duke, can't make call that. Even the Pittsburgh loss, not a bad loss. Virginia loss, is that a bad loss? No. No, no, it's not. I'm looking up and down their schedule, and I'm going, find me the bad loss. They don't really have necessarily a quote-unquote bad loss. Now, they don't have... Uh, losses, some of those losses, you know, Pittsburgh, at Wake Forest, things like that, uh, can be questioned because they were the number one overall team, but they don't have a lot of bad losses. Now, if they go out there and they make the tournament, right? Well, I'll give you a scenario to me. They win three in a row. They win against Duke on Saturday, which we'll get to in a minute. Win against Duke on Saturday. Win two games into, into the ACC tournament. Uh, you get into the, the big field of 68. You win a game. 
maybe get out of the first weekend. I'm looking at, at that and I'm saying, I know what the expectations were in the beginning, but I think you end the season like that and people are going to go, okay, it was a fine year. A am I off base here? Give me it from the North Carolina fan standpoint. What is a successful season? Yeah, at this point, I mean, I would say that a lot of people would say, you first of all, you got to make the tournament. You got to get in somehow, some way. And I, I mean, just you, you, you can't balance out. At the beginning of the year, everybody would have said, this team has to make a Final Four or it's an abject disappointment. I think people have adjusted their expectations based on the, the, some of the stuff that we've seen. But, I mean, you know, if I had to take the pulse of the Carolina fans right now, I, I'd say they would really think that this team is, should be capable of getting out of the first weekend of the tournament, even if they go in as an 11 seed, as a 10 seed. I mean, last year they were an 8 seed. So this group of players knows how to play from that position. So I, I, I do, I think, uh, I think a sweet 16 is something if, you know, if, if we, if, if the team can get into the tournament, I, I'm going to be expecting them to, to win their first two games. Now it could be the first three games if they end up in Dayton on Tuesday or Wednesday, but I, I do think the team is capable uh, uh, once they're in of, of doing that. And, and then quite honestly, I'll bet there's a lot of teams that would not want to see them on the other side of the bracket. If that, especially if they do get kind of hot and, you know, maybe they beat Duke and win some games in the AC tournament. I, I wouldn't want to face them. You know, they, they, they know what they're capable of from last year. So, but I think that's where we land. Um, and, and, you know, and if they don't do that, it, it's, I, I've already gone on the record, Tom, that it, it has been one of the most disappointing seasons of Carolina basketball that I can remember. And that's a pretty big statement, even if they make a run here and, and get into the tournament. The season up to this point, based on the expectations coming in, has been a really huge disappointment. Yeah, it really has, and especially considering that you know that these guys are leaving, right? I mean, it's going to be massive turnover. Yeah. Um, I would expect almost everyone to leave. So you have your short window, but there is time to make up for it. Hey, guys, we're on the phone with Andy Bagwell, author of Duke Sucks, and now the soon-to-be-released sequel, Duke Still Sucks. You guys go check that out, dukestillsucks.square.site. Let's talk about Saturday's game, North Carolina, Duke in North Carolina, North Carolina's won three games in a row. The last time they faced mm -hmm. off, it was a ridiculous defensive effort. The total landed on 120. They lost by six at Duke. Again, I don't consider that a bad loss. I know Duke is not who they were, but it's still a rivalry game. I, I, I have gone on record and said this is a must-win game. Now, do I believe mm -hmm. it? Do I still believe that statement? I think beating Virginia helped them immensely, absolutely immensely, yeah, I know it's at home. It doesn't matter. Virginia's reeling a little bit. Don't doesn't matter. At the time they faced Virginia, Virginia was ranked sixth in the country. Okay, so mm -hmm. while Virginia might not not you know be the powerhouse that people think, I don't care. They were ranked sixth in the country at that time. Now they've come back a little bit. If you go out there and you beat Duke, you're a twenty win regular season team heading into the ACC tournament. I think that gets them in. I said it before time. This isn't uh, hindsight. I said it before time. You go four and zero. Oh, Last four regular season games, and you just don't get embarrassed in the ACC tournament. I think they're going to make the field of 64 because of the name recognition, because they are North Carolina. I don't care. I think they make it. If they lose that game, I think that keeps them out. And, and I've yeah. had people push back on me here, Andy. Do you think that this is a must-win game? I, I agree with you. I think this is a win and you're in, lose and you're out game. I, I And you know, the only way that I can see, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's they, to get into the tournament, they have to win this game and then not embarrass themselves 
in the ACC tournament. So they could, they if they win and then they go lose to, I mean, I don't even know what the matchups would be, but a bad Florida State or Louisville team, then that's that's probably going to negate the win. But if they just, you know, handle business and get a couple, maybe a win or two in the ACC tournament. But other than that, yeah, I think you're right. I think if they, if this, I mean, not to put all the pressure on the road on these guys, but that's what they put themselves into this position with their season is they got to win this game at home against Duke to feel like they've got a chance. And if they don't, I think they're going to be on the outside looking in because I don't think this team is capable of stringing together four wins in four, four days to win the ACC tournament. They haven't shown that type of consistency all year long. And, and I don't think they're, they're capable of getting that automatic bid, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to come down to this game and, uh, and on top of the rivalry and the top of senior night for leaky black and probably the rest of those guys on that team. Oh, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. You know, I, I think we have an entry into your new, new, new book, which is sti- Duke still continues to suck, right? I mean, I, yeah. maybe that'll come out in about 10 years, right? We'll, we'll yeah. be ha- having Andy on in about 10 years for that. But yeah, I mean, this could be one of those, one of those plant the flag type of situations. This could be a game, mm-hmm. hey, we beat Duke, gives us four in a row, went on, did well in the ACC tournament, actually provided, like you said, maybe get to the Sweet 16 and gave us a spark for the future moving forward. But in the same respect, Danny, and I'll say it, it might be that Duke plant a flag moment where they go, mm-hmm. we sh- we knocked off the number one preseason team. We kept them out of the tournament. We were the team that did it. Even though there's a lot of teams that did it, they'll pound their chest saying that they are the team. So I think that this game is massively, massively important. On that oh, note, Andy, we are yeah. in the prediction business, right? <laughs> Give me what we you are. take. What's happening on Saturday? Well, first of all, Tom, I will be in the building. I'm doing a signing on campus there, a book signing on campus there the day of. It's going to be this wonderful, awesome day. Um, I will tell you, when the first book came out, we did the same thing. We had a great day. We went. We had a book signing. We were all charged up. And that was the night that Austin Rivers hit the shot at the buzzer to beat us. So I'm hoping that that is not the case again and that the Dukies ruin what will be a great day. But predictions are predictions. Um I'll, I'll kind of weave my way to it. I will tell you that having watched this North Carolina team all year, I don't think they match up all that well with Duke, and that makes me nervous, right? I think there are athletes with length on that Duke team that even though they haven't been playing all that well all year long, that's the type of team that, that, that tends to give Carolina some problems. Just look back at the previous games. Look at what Derek Lively did to Armando Baycott. Really you know, kept him in check. Um, and, and, and so I'm a little nervous about that. But I will say that this team is night and day, home and away. If you look at their record, you look at their shooting percentages, you look at their scoring, you look at their defense, this is a team, for whatever reason, even though it's incredibly experienced, does play so much better at home than they do on the road. And so I do think ultimately Carolina is shooting the ball a little bit better coming into this game. There's a couple of guys that are starting to kind of feel the finality of the season and they're starting to pick it up. So as long as Carolina can hit some shots and I think they will, I think they're going to find a way to maybe eke out a two or three point win. And I will be, my blood pressure will be through the roof, but I will be very, very uh, be a happy man at the end of the day. So that that's where I think we'll end up. Andy, it has been absolutely fantastic guys. It's Andy Bagel. Go check him out at Twitter. NC bags at NC bags and Duke still sucks dot square dot site. And he's also going to be on the campus of UNC this weekend. If you guys are in the triangle in the area, go down there, you get a signed book from Andy. Thank you for all your time, Andy. 
Awesome to talk to you again, Tom, and uh, we'll talk again soon in the future, I'm sure. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay, guys, we're talking about the future. Well, let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future. I wanted to give you a little taste of Major League Baseball because after the next two weeks when we're really just concentrating fully on college basketball, Major League Baseball, they are in spring trainings going on, and we're going to have to get right into Major League Baseball right after that. So here's a little taste. The AL Cy Young favorites, here is the bet to the future. Well, Jacob deGrom is 5-1 to one yet. American League. Remember, he's on Texas now. Garrett Cole, 7-1. Perennial favorites always up there. Carlos Rodon, plus 850. His new teammate. Dylan Cease is 9-1. Shohei, 11-1. Alex Manoa, 12-1. Luis Castillo, 16-1, along with Shane Bieber and Shane McClanahan, all 16-1. Kevin Gaussman comes in at number 10 at 19-1. And that is bet to the future. I'm giving you a little taste of Major League Baseball. It, it, It feels really, really good. It really does. Um, to sit back and watch Major League Baseball, get the spring training. But I think it's all going to be about the pitch clock here for the next couple of weeks. Everyone's going to adjust to it. I'll give you my take on the pitch clock, but my opinion shouldn't matter as much as what it's going to do to the impact of the play, right? I mean, does it force the home team to be better? The road team, will it increase scoring? Will it decrease scoring? We're going to look at all of that, and we're going to take the analyst um, opinions on that. We'll take the, uh, the obvious construction of, okay, well, there's going to be more base stealing, but does that mean necessarily more runs? There's a lot to do. I will tell you this, that the minor league systems that have been using the pitch clock for the last couple of years, there's no jump up in scoring, not to to any kind of degree that we care about. And I'll go one step further with the new rule changes. There's no real jump up in scoring or jump up in batting average with the new no shift rule. People are looking at this and they're thinking, well, you know, no shifting. That means left-handed batters, Cody Bellinger and Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, they're going to bat 400 this year. No, there hasn't been a large shift. There's going to be a couple of guys that benefits, but overall, there's not going to be this massive overall, you're changing the game in this insane way. Now, you might not like it, but statistically is what I'm talking about. So we will get into a lot of Major League Baseball. This week was about college basketball. Guess what? Next week is going to be about college basketball and the week after that. And then, bam, we're into Major League Baseball. But we got to concentrate on the brackets. This is what you guys want to hear about right now. I'll sprinkle in a little NBA. I'll sprinkle in a little NHL. I'll sprinkle in some Major League Baseball. But it's going to be pretty much college basketball. I'm getting ready, man. The conference tournaments are here. I'm getting ready for the big conference tournaments next week. And then, of course, we're going to be filling out our brackets. I'm going to fill out one live on the air. Before I look at anything, we're going to do that which we do every year as well. So make sure you guys tune in next week. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.